Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. Our Advent theme this Christmas has been in the form of a question, why did Jesus come? And we need to ask that question. It's an important question because it's easy to form wrong expectations. And if we have a wrong understanding of the ministry of Jesus, then we'll have an expectation that's not based in truth. It's based in fantasy rather than reality. And then we'll find ourselves, uh, when we've experienced the limitations of life or whatever, to feel hopeless and unanchored and without faith. So I believe that if you can grasp the real significance of the reason, the purpose, why Jesus came, then it will anchor your soul and give you a hope that will hold fast when you do experience the disappointments and limitations in this life. So I want to tell you right up front that the theme that God has put in my heart for the message today is hope. It's hope. I believe God's people need hope. You need hope. I need hope. The Holy Spirit has been whispering hope into my spirit, and I sense his urging, saying, give my people an anchor of hope. And so on this last Sunday of 2015, I have some good news to tell you. Jesus came to our world to anchor our soul to a hope of a glorious coming kingdom. And um, I want to share some thoughts about this glorious coming kingdom. And to get started, I want us to look at a passage in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, that helps introduce this subject. It's found in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18 and 19. Hebrews is a wonderful book of the Bible. We just finished going through it in our staff devotions last Monday. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18 and 19. These verses say that Jesus is our hope. They tell us that Jesus did something that invites us to run to him as a refuge of hope. I'm going to break right into the sentence, Hebrews 6, 18. It says, we who have fled, we've run, we've run for refuge, that we might have strong encouragement and hold fast to the hope set before us. See, the writer of the Hebrews has the same passion that we have this morning. I want you to be encouraged this morning, and I want you to hold fast to a hope that is set before us. Notice the, he says this hope is set before us. And he says we have this, this hope, as a sure and a steadfast anchor of the soul. So what is it that will anchor us? It is a hope that God has given to us, and it is a hope, he says, that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Jesus did something for you. He did something for me. He set a hope before us, and that hope is a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. See, Jesus entered into a place where we could not go. He entered into the presence of a holy God, the holy of holies. And we couldn't go there because we were sinners. And sin prevented us from entering there. And so he went into this inner place behind the curtain, into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of righteousness, into the kingdom of right relationship with God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the presence of a holy God and our heavenly Father, and he's gone there as a forerunner on our behalf. Jesus came to our world to atone for our sins so that we can enter into the presence of the Father and have eternal life, discover that there is the place, there is the kingdom, there's the environment of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so this message is called the, that Jesus came to give to us is the hope of the gospel. It's the hope of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. And I'd like for you to think about those words. Hold fast to the hope that is set before us and then combine those with the words of the next sentence. Jesus has gone as a forerunner 
on our behalf. So what is your hope and my hope resting on this morning? In order for us to have hope, we need to learn to look at life through the lens of Jesus Christ. Our expectation and our hope is set on something that is set before us, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. This is a real practical exercise that we have to learn to do as Christians. I remember one time I heard the testimony of, is it Tony Dungy, the former coach of the uh, the, the, the Colts, yeah, when his, uh, there you go, thank you, Anthony, when uh, he had the, the travesty of having a son commit suicide, I remember hearing a reporter interviewing him and said, how did you deal with this? How do you deal with this disappointment, this anguish of soul? He says, well, I've learned to look at life through the lens of Jesus Christ. And that's, how, that's where we get hope. We we, we put on an eternal perspective. We put on a perspective or a worldview that Jesus has given to us. And Jesus has asked us to, to, to go with him to see something about reality that we don't see, that we're blinded to uh, in our own perspective, in our own world of view. So this writer of the Hebrews saying our hope will be anchored to something if, if we go with Jesus, who's the forerunner, and he's entered into uh, uh, the heavenlies and the, the right hand of the Father into a reality that uh, our hope is, is, is fixed on. And so the birth of Jesus Christ was the birth of hope. Jesus came to give us hope. He came to anchor our soul in the hope of a coming kingdom. Now, my heart has been hurting over the hopelessness that's gripping our world. It just seems to me that there are belief systems or worldviews that are producing a generation of people who are empty of hope. And I, I know that for some folk, the Grinch has stolen hope this Christmas. Postmodernism has moved the ancient landmarks, and we're a generation that's drifting aimlessly on an endless ocean of uncertainty. There's no fixed certainty of hope. But there are many facets of hope that I want us to, that we could look at that Jesus has shown us that for, you know, to give us hope, uh, that our hope is fixed in Jesus. But we don't have time to talk about all the facets of hope that we find in Jesus and how Jesus could encourage our hope. We could talk about his birth, his incarnation, and how that gives us hope of how it tells us that God didn't abandon us, that God came near to us. Um, and, and we could talk about how the life of Jesus has given us hope, about how the way that Jesus lived was a visible manifestation of the, the glory of God, the love of God. Uh, we could talk about the um, the death of Jesus on the cross and how that gives us hope, uh, how he atoned for our sins so that we can be reconciled to God now. We could talk about how the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope, about how he triumphed over death, he triumphed over sin, and he made it possible for us to receive God's eternal kind of life. We could talk about Jesus' ascension and how that gives us hope and how when he ascended, he gave the gifts of the Holy Spirit to us and how he's now seated at the right hand of the Father and how he's bearing intercession for our sins. He's praying for us. He's rooting for us. But I could talk about so many aspects and facets of, of the life of Jesus and his ministry and how that gives us hope. But I want to core down into the main theme of Jesus' life and why he said that he came here and what the message that he preached over a hundred times, the main theme that Jesus preached was the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom. If I was to ask you, what was the message Jesus preached? I wonder what you would say. When we study the life of Jesus, we discover that he preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. And that's the facet of hope I want to talk about this morning, the hope of the coming kingdom. Now, I introduced this theme a couple of weeks ago by looking at the clash of two kingdoms, and we saw how the story of the Bible is God's uh, grand plan to establish his loving 
beneficence, his reign on earth as a visible manifestation here of his eternal glory on earth. And there were two key verses we looked at. One was the Old Testament promise in Isaiah and the other was the fulfillment as stated in 1 John. In Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 it says, here's the promise given to us that unto us a son would be given and the government shall be upon his shoulder. The government, the reign, the authority over all the the affairs of earth would be upon his shoulder and his name. What would be the, the nature of this? You know, there's the, the nature of Jesus was is described in his name, but his name describes the nature of, of what is coming. And he said he shall be called a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. And then here's the really cool thing. It says, and of the increase of that government... His government, correctly, it says, an increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end. It's, it's not going to end. <laughs> it's not going to taper off. It's not going to have a, a big beginning, but then, uh, you know, a, a, an indefinite ending. It's, it, there's, there's never, it's never going to end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. And then it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So there's the promise. And then there's so much more we could talk about how that was fulfilled. But here's, in simple words, what John says. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So why did Jesus come? One way we could describe it is that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil so that he could carry out God's deep dream to establish his kingdom on earth. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. So I'd like to start out this morning showing you what Paul told the Colossians about this kingdom. Paul wrote some words of hope about this kingdom to the Colossians and it's found in Colossians chapter 1 verse 11 through 14. While you're turning there, let me just say that the theology of, that lies behind the letter to the Colossians is that Jesus is the Lord of the world who came to reclaim what was rightfully His. Uh, he came to restore the kingdom of God on earth. And we find these wonderful words of encouragement in Colossians 1.11. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Does God want us to endure? Yes, He does. Does He want us to have patience? Yes, He does. Does He want us to have joy? Yes, He does. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now there's a lot that could be said from those verses. I want to just, just give you a, a quick overview. Notice, first of all, how Paul names the kingdom as the kingdom of His beloved Son. Notice also that this kingdom is called an inheritance and that Jesus has given us a share in this inheritance. He, d- he has delivered us. The inheritance is this. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. So now we have this inheritance of being in union with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, if you were to get a registered letter in the mail that notified you that you have now been given a share in an inheritance and that's been transferred over into your name, how would you feel? That'd be an exciting letter to get in the mail, wouldn't it? (laughs) That an inheritance is now yours. You hadn't expected it. You weren't worthy of it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it, but you got it in the mail. And, And wouldn't that be a joyful message of hope? Yes, it would. I mean, you could pay off all those credit cards after Christmas, right? (laughs) It would be a great joy. 
Well, this is the hope of the gospel. He says, God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And he's delivered us from that domain, from that realm, from that um, kingdom of darkness. And he's transferred us now into a new kingdom. It's the kingdom of his beloved son. Remember that Jesus preached, the main theme of Jesus' ministry was he preached on the gospel of the kingdom. There's something significant about the kingdom. We've got to understand about the kingdom. For the evil one who had a lawsuit against you and had taken away that inheritance, that privileged place of being in union with the Godhead, has now been destroyed and Jesus has transferred you into back into that kingdom of light. And I'd like to just share with you as the Lord gives us time and leads us some characteristics that the Bible gives us about this kingdom and some important details that can strengthen our hope. The first one I'd like to show you is a profound truth that Paul told the Colossians, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but it is that God has proclaimed this message of hope in creation. Remember that the kingdom was given to the Jewish people all through the Old Testament through prophets and through the poets and through the patriarchs. And that's how the letter to the Hebrews begins. God, in times past, has spoken to us through all these people, but now in the last times he's spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, often in the Bible, it, when they are speaking to Gentiles, to non-Jewish people, they make the point that God has also spoken to us not only through the Old Testament, Torah, and not only through Jesus Christ, His Son, but there's another way in which God has proclaimed the hope of the gospel, and that is through creation. And Paul says that to the Colossians in Colossians 1.23. He said, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard... Well, where did we hear the hope of the gospel? He says, which has been proclaimed in all creation, all creation under heaven. The hope of the gospel that is supposed to keep us steadfast, that we're supposed to hold to, is a gospel that has been proclaimed in creation. I just love that because I love creation. And I see the glory of God stamped all over creation. Uh, let me just quote a great theologian here about this. He says, Just as the caterpillar becomes a butterfly, as carbon is converted into diamonds, as the grain of a wheat upon dying in the ground produces other grains of wheat. Think about how your garden just grows exponentially from one seed. And, and what is that a sign of? <laughs> as all nature revives and springs to life in the spring, and how nature dresses up in celebrative clothing, as the believing community is formed out of Adam's fallen race, as the resurrection body is raised from the body that is dead and buried in the earth, so too, by the recreating power of Christ, the new heaven and the new earth will one day emerge from the fire-purged elements of this world radiant in enduring glory and forever set free from the bondage to decay. There are hints all around us that God's glory is breaking in on our world. There's hints all around us that there's something better coming. And every time we see a beautiful sunrise or sunset, or did anybody see that moon last night? Oh my goodness, that was glorious. That was wonderful. And uh, did anybody notice the, uh, the flock trees this past week before the wind came up and the temperatures warmed up and it all... I mean, wasn't that amazing? I just loved... I was driving into Christmas Eve service this past week and my wife is just, ooh, ah, oh, oh, Dale. And I said, honey, I got to keep my eyes on her. No, look at over there. Isn't that beautiful? She's just, she's just in worship to God from what? From the beauty of creation. All creation declares the glory of God and the earth shouts out his majesty, doesn't it? And so Paul is saying that we must remain stable and steadfast 
uh, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that we heard. Well, where did we hear it? Well, I know you heard it from the preacher and you've read it in the Old Testament. You've heard it from Jesus. But think about this. We hear it. We see it displayed and declared to us every day in creation. I just wanted to point out that wonderful verse as a, as a way in which the, the, the hope of this coming kingdom is on display for us as a signpost, as a hint declaring to us there's something better com- coming. Because some days we look at God's wonderful creation and we just stare in awe at the glory that is there and it's, it provokes us to ask this question, who made this? Who could do that? Who could paint something like that? Who could put that kind of thing together? And uh, there must be a designer behind this wonderful design. And if this is the imperfect, then how marvelous must the perfect be, right? And so this is the first place where God proclaims the hope of a perfect kingdom so that he begins the, the, the book of Romans saying that because of that, Everybody is without excuse because the gospel is written in creation and we see God's eternal power and Godhead in that. And so that's what I want to call the external witness to the hope of the kingdom. The external witness is in the world all around us. So let the world around you not become a, a place, a, you know, don't, don't worship creation, but let it draw you into the worship of the designer and then beyond that, that those... You're looking at a fallen world out there. You're looking at a sin-scarred world. One day he's going to redeem that world. So Paul says in Romans 8 that all creation is groaning for the day that he's going to bring perfection to this world. So would you please look forward to that? (laughs) Look forward to that. I believe there's something more to look forward to than us being little fat cherubs dancing on clouds someday. You know, we're looking forward to a a redeemed planet that he's not going to give up on what he started. He's not going to give Satan the success for ruining the planet. He's going to restore this planet. He's going to reclaim and redeem his original deep dream. I need to move on because there's a whole sermon I'd love to preach on that. But Paul also goes on and talks about an internal witness that he's put in us in verse 27 there of, of, was it Colossians, uh, Colossians 1, verse 27. So the first witness is the external witness in all of creation, but he's also put the witness within us. In verse 27, he says, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. So we, we're looking forward to a day when, when we have that full manifestation of the riches of his glory on display in this world. It's a mystery. It's a mysterion. And he says, but it is this, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So that hope of this glory is planted within us by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. It is Christ within us. And so there are these two witnesses that give us hope this morning. There's a witness around us. And that's why I I believe the Lord had me have you just look at our worship team. The glory of God is displayed in the most unlikely places, amen. <laughs> it's, it's, on, it's on display all around us. It's everywhere if we just have eyes to see us, but also the, in your deep inner knower this morning. I know deep down in there, Christ is dwelling within, giving you a, a longing, a heart for his kingdom. You long for a place of perfect peace. You long for a time of of complete reunion someday. You're longing for that. The disappointments in your life are indicators of this longing that he's put within you. There's a second detail that's important to know about the kingdom, and that is that the birth of Jesus was actually the arrival of the king to come and establish this kingdom on earth. So here's where it begins. If there's a kingdom, there has to be a king, right? And the kingdom of God has a king. Jesus is the king over this kingdom. You know, the wise men came and they honored him, gave him gifts worthy of a king. Jesus came announcing something. What did he announce? He announced the arrival of the kingdom. The Gospels of Matthew and Mark, 
begin by saying that God started out his ministry making this announcement. From that time on, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, change your mind, change your worldview, change your orientation, change the lens in which you look at life through. Repent, turn around. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. It's arriving. Mark 1.14, it says, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven was launched, not just announced, but Jesus, allowed, uh, Jesus launched it at his birth. The multitude of the heavenly hosts were saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill. To men, that was in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy and the, and the increase of his government of peace shall come to earth and will have no end. Jesus also came to establish the kingdom. He said, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And when he said that, he was talking about himself. His presence on earth was now the visible manifestation in human flesh of the glory of of the perfection of God in, in his kingdom in heaven. He was pointing to himself as the king who has arrived to establish the comprehensive rule of God. And that's why when he spoke, people said, this man doesn't speak like the scribes. This man speaks with authority. That's why when he spoke, it says, some people said, did it thunder? I love that phrase. When he spoke, some people thought that it thundered. There was just some kind of otherworldly thing about this man. And it is that the reign of Jesus as king had come as good news. The future was breaking in to the present. And so the kingdom of God lives and moves and has its being in Jesus Christ. The life that pulsates through this kingdom is, is life that emanates from Jesus Christ. The nature of the kingdom is a reflection of the perfect nature of Jesus. And Paul told the Colossians that Jesus holds all things together. So here's the theology of the kingdom in a nutshell. Because of the work of Jesus, because Jesus came to our world, the age to come, the age to come has arrived and broken into our world. The future has invaded the present. The kingdom of God, which is yet to come in its full power, in its full display of glory, it has already come and it's already here in a secret and a hidden form working among men and women. And Jesus is dwelling within us, manifesting the imprint and the reality and the nature of that kingdom. And that brings me to a third characteristic I want to share some thoughts with you about. And that is that Jesus' kingdom is developing gradually and progressively the kingdom of god is both now and not yet it's already present but it's yet to be fulfilled jesus used parables to teach this to us and they're parables about the kingdom um, the one was the parable of the mustard seed the mustard seed was considered the smallest of all seeds and it would grow into this big, beautiful tree and it says even the birds will come and find rest and nurture in this tree. So there's a picture of the extensive organic, organic rather, organic growth. You know, we know that plants grow from small things to big things. And so that describes the nature of this kingdom. It's going to start out small and grow big. It's going to be gradual and progressive. And then another parable of the kingdom he taught us is the parable of the leaven. And the leaven speaks of the intensive, pervasive growth of this kingdom, that it's going to spread out and it's going to touch and impact everything. So the kingdom of God arrived in our world a little babe in a little country town of Bethlehem in a little manger arriving here, not with a big splash, but secretly, without observation, escaping people's notice. Being asked by the Pharisees 
Jesus said, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. They asked him, when's the kingdom of God going to come? When's it going to be here? When's it going to get here? When's it going to arrive? Here's Jesus' answer to that question. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Do you understand that? I'm not sure I do. This is a big subject that the Lord needs to help us to grasp, but it's in the midst of you. I believe that that's meaning I'm here. I'm the king. The reign of God has arrived. The comprehensive rule of God has arrived here, and I'm in the midst of you. And in its early stage, the kingdom was hidden and unobtrusive. Says he came to his own, but his own received him not. They didn't understand who he was. They misunderstood the reason for Jesus' coming. But as this kingdom advances, the kingdom of God becomes this irresistible spiritual force that grows and advances and ultimately triumphs over all darkness, all evil systems in this world. Again, let me remind you. This is supposed to be a message of encouragement and hope. (laughs) I believe what will anchor our soul is to understand and go where Jesus has gone and understand why Jesus came. He came and he's working right now in a hidden, gradual, progressive way to bring his kingdom to earth. Matthew 16, verse 18 and 19, Jesus said, And I tell you, you're Peter... Remember, he just asked Peter, who do, you, who do you say that I am? And he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that was the correct answer, of course. And he says, on that confession of faith, upon that rock, upon that belief of knowing who, that confidence of who I am, I will build my church. So this is why Jesus came here. This is another answer to that question. He, he came to build a church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I, that means the church is advancing against gates, right? Not gates advancing against the church. The church is advancing the kingdom. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. <laughs> Jesus has given us some kind of authority for doing kingdom business on earth. He's given us the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Oh, I, that's mind-blowing. I want to say, oh my goodness, but I don't have any goodness to swear by, right? <laughs> oh my, oh my. That's amazing. He's given us keys. He's building a church. And he's giving the, given the church the keys to this kingdom to advance his kingdom until he returns one day. And so the hidden secret that he said that, you know, I'm going to speak in parables because this is a hidden secret. And then Paul talked about the secret that is now being revealed. The hidden secret is this, that the Messiah is coming in two stages so that the kingdom develops between the two messianic advents, between his first coming and his second coming. And between his first and second coming, there's this mystery. And that is that Christ is going to be dwelling on earth in us, in the church, in in the redeemed people that he has saved and brought into relationship with God and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so the hidden secret is the presence of God on earth, in his church, advancing his kingdom. This is called the age of the Spirit. The Spirit has given gifts to the church, power tools to advance his kingdom. That's why Paul would say things like, in him you also are being built together. We're being built together here at Cornerstone. Why? To be a dwelling place for God by his Spirit. As one of the most profound verses in the Bible to me, defining the church. That we are the embodied presence of Jesus in our world. 
We are not just a collection of people who decide to come to Cornerstone. But God is putting us together, building us together to be a dwelling place for God by His Spirit. For that is the mystery of how God is advancing His kingdom between Christ's first coming and His second coming. So we're living between the times in this parentheses period of time before the end of the age arrives. And Jesus said the good news about the kingdom will be preached during this interim period of time throughout the whole world. That's the mission of the church. We're to preach, proclaim the same message Jesus proclaimed, the gospel of the kingdom throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And after that's done, what's going to happen? Jesus said, then the end will come. So, that verse tells me the purpose of this parentheses of time. It's to preach the gospel of the kingdom throughout all the world so that everyone has a chance to hear, then the end will come. And so the kingdom that Jesus is establishing is a work in progress right now. If you're an English major, you might want to think of it as the kingdom of God as a present continuous form. <laughs> it's being established. And while the full realization of the kingdom awaits his second coming, we shouldn't minimize what's happening in this current age between the two advents, nor the role that you and and I are called to play in this season of already but not yet. But today we're witnessing the age to come breaking into this present age. As citizens of God's kingdom, we as Christians live in a tension. We struggle with the pain of living in this broken world. And I know there's a lot of pain in some of your lives right now. Our world is not perfect. Our world is not fully redeemed. And it brings us pain. We're groaning in travail, longing for that day of redemption. And there's this tension. But we're also rejoicing in the hope of the promise of God that through Christ all things are being made new and the, and the, the corruptible is going to put on incorruptibility, I think this is the word, and the imperfection is going to put on perfection. This is the way Paul put it in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15. But we're groaning in this interim period of time. And so as believers... How should we live? We should neither withdraw into seclusion from the world to avoid the world, nor should we become indistinguishable from the world. We should be distinct citizens of an alternative reality, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of heaven, living in a world that is gripped by the evil one in the power of darkness. But we should be that salt and that light, that pervasive influence of the presence of Christ breaking into the reality of this world, the future coming into the now. I've already pointed out my fourth thought, and that is that Jesus is advancing his kingdom through the church. But I just want to rivet that and nail that down in your thinking As Robert Coleman says in the Master Plan of Evangelism, he has, Jesus has no other plan. This is the mystery. Jesus establishes his kingdom on earth through his work on the cross. That's how he defeated the devil, right? And he advances his kingdom now through his spirit-empowered work of the church, indwelling the church. It's Christ in you. The church is the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. Have you ever thought about that? What is the way, the way that Christ is advancing His kingdom on earth? He does it through the church. He established His kingdom through the cross and He advances it through you and through me. He gave us the Holy Spirit to have gifts, power tools to build this church on earth, this kingdom on earth. Why was Jesus born? One thing you could say is that he was born to build his church so that the church would advance his kingdom on earth against 
the gates of hell. Matthew 16, 16, let me say it again. You are, to Peter, he said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What is Jesus' plan for advancing his kingdom against the devil? It is by his power working through his church. The church is central in Jesus' plan for extending his kingdom over all the people of the earth. So we are like on a search and rescue operation in a real-time war. I don't have time to unpack how the church advances his kingdom, but that's another important subject. Jesus spoke about handing over to us the keys of this kingdom so that he could, we could build his church on earth. He described the Colossians as fellow workers or fellow laborers in the work of the kingdom. He told us that prayer is the one way that we advance his kingdom. Every day we are to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, so that earth will begin to look like heaven. See, prayer is essentially at its very core a plea to God to come here and reign on earth. That's what prayer is. You are pleading for God to come, for his reign to come. Prayer is, another way of saying it, is rebellion against the status quo. It's rebellion against Satan's whisper to us to just capitulate to the world as it is in its broken state. It's a refusal to capitulate to the evil one. It's a refusal to accept the kingdom of darkness as as the norm around here. And what we need to be jaded out of as Christians is the belief that what we see around us is normal. The, The sinful world is not normal. Heaven is what is normal. And we need to plea that the that the full glory, the riches of His glory come to earth and we refuse to capitulate to what we think is ho-hum, normal. And so we also advance the kingdom by living in a loving way around people. That's why He gave us the parable of the Good Samaritan, those other parables of the kingdom. It's by our love that the world will know an alternative reality. So if we don't understand that the church was built by Jesus for his kingdom agenda, then we'll not understand the purpose of the church. A couple more things I want to say. The next is that the kingdom of God does not come easy, but it comes by warfare. The kingdom is a warfare concept. Our world is a battleground, as I said, where there's a clash between two kingdoms. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Jesus is at war against the prince of this world. Jesus is the Lord of this world who came to reclaim what is rightfully his. And that's why he said, do not think that I've come to bring peace on earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force, he said. He also said, now is the time for judgment on this world. What's he mean by that? He goes on and says, now the prince of this world will be driven out. I want you to anchor your hope on that belief (laughs) that he's going to deliver on what he said. The prince of this world, he said, now stands condemned. The reason the Son of God appeared, John says, was to destroy the works of the devil. Now Satan will not relinquish the kingdom of this world without a fight. So during this in-between time, we are in a real war conflict between Christ and the devil. But God is ruling. His kingdom has not yet been established. He's been defeated in principle. He's been disarmed. One day he's going to be eliminated. So much of his domain does not yet honor him, does not yet honor Christ, 
does not yet bow its knee to Christ or recognize Him as their King and as a ruler. There's a widespread insurgency going on in our world. There's a revolt. Whole sections of the universe are still living in upheaval against God. As a result, people are suffering under the ravages of this spiritual war. Every time a woman is raped and beaten, God's will is not yet being done on earth. Every time a child is sold into the sex industry, God's will is not being done on earth. Every time a young man dies of age, God's will is not being done. Every time there's a terrorist act, God's will is not being done. Every time we hear about a child being left to die on the beach, God's will is not being done. When we hear of shootings in schools, God's will is not being done. And that's why the good news of the gospel still needs to reach the earth. People need to know that Jesus came to anchor their soul in the hope of a kingdom that is glorious, that is still coming. Then I want to share brief thought with you about the inestimable cost and worth of this kingdom. There was a great price that was paid for this kingdom, and Jesus said that the importance and the value of this kingdom is worth every sacrifice. He gave two parables to describe the inestimable worth of the kingdom. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that is hidden in a field which a man found and he covered up. Then in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys the field. He sacrifices everything in order to get that. Another parable he told is that he said, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's a merchant who was in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great price, he went and he sold all that he had and he bought it. A vision of the inestimable worth of the kingdom leads us into a life of sacrifice. When we see the incredible value, the significance of this kingdom, the glory of what it's going to be like, we will give up everything. We will sacrifice everything for the cause of this kingdom. And because this kingdom is worth so much, because it's going to be so glorious, because it's going to be such a wonderful redemption of all things, then we are also called to take up our cross and sacrifice it for the cause of the advancement of this kingdom. That is why Paul said, I am filling up in my body what is lacking in the sacrifice of Christ for the sake of Christ. The final thing I want to share with you is the spiritual and righteous nature of God's kingdom. The history of humanity shows us that we're looking for this kingdom in all the wrong places. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Notice he did not say that my kingdom is non-existent in this world. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not like this world. He means we should not be looking for this kingdom. God has given us a heart that longs for this perfect kingdom. Don't look for that in the world or in the systems of the world, in the strategies of the world. Don't look for the kingdom there. My kingdom is not in this world. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and and ruin and uh, thieves break in and steal. But seek first what? The kingdom of God and His righteousness in right relationship with God. And all of these things shall be added to you. You'll get the kingdom then when you seek His will and not look for it in the things of this world. The nature of His kingdom is righteousness. Being... It is being found in right relationship with God, coming into the presence of God. And that's why he said, the kingdom of God is not in this world, but it's within you. The kingdom of God is within you. Those four beautiful worship leaders this morning, the kingdom of God was within them. It's within you, that person sitting beside you. God has given you a kingdom longing. He's given you a kingdom heart. It's within you. Christ is within you. The first fruits given you a a desire, a longing, a hope for that final kingdom. And that helps understand all of our compulsions and addictions and distractions that we have. We're longing for something better, for something more. Our soul is restless, but it will never find its rest until it is at rest in God. And Jesus Christ came to bring us into that rest of God. He brought us home into the Father's house, into His presence. So that helps us explain the 
question, why did Jesus come? Did Jesus come to give us all the material things of this world? No, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. Did Jesus come to make us rich? No, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Did Jesus come to make us popular with the world? No, he said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. People lose their hope when they look for the kingdom in all the wrong places. Paul said the hope that we're looking for cannot be found in the riches of gold, but in the riches of glory. And these riches of glory are not material in nature. They are mystical. He says in Colossians 1.27, the riches of his glory of this mystery, of this mysterium, which is Christ in you, a relationship, the mystical union of our soul with God through Jesus Christ. That is what he says is the hope of glory. And so the kingdom of blessedness that your heart is longing for, for that your soul is aching for, that you're, you're reaching out for, there's that idealism in your life that knows that there's something better than the reality I'm experiencing now, and you're indulging in the things of this world, thinking your heart's going to be satisfied in that. It is, in, it is found only in a state of being. And it is a state of being in right relationship with God. The king, the kingdom is within you. This kingdom is found when we become righteous. That is when we trust in the atoning work of Jesus to bring us into a new way of living, into a new reality, a new relationship with God, in fellowship with God. And this life of blessedness is a life that abides in the presence of God where Jesus brings us. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The next description of the kingdom I was going to point out to you is that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit as a sign of the kingdom that's breaking into this world. But I'll leave that for another day. I was wanting to talk to you about the permanent indestructibility and the comprehensive rule of Jesus' reign. But I've already talked about that, and I'll let our pastor's wife sing Handel's Messiah someday. And he shall reign forever and ever, right? Is your hope anchored into this, this reality, this promise? that his kingdom is coming. See, right now we're in that in-between time and, and we're, we're told over and over and over in Scripture to not lose your hope. Don't lose your faith. Don't give up. Jesus is coming soon. And our hope is fixed and anchored where Jesus has gone. Beyond the veil, into the presence of the Father. Lord, I thank you for your enlightenment. I think you've helped us. I think you've, you've given hope this morning. And I pray that you will somehow take these words and make them simple and plain. Reality in our own experience, we pray in Jesus' name.